That was all the best, and this is Not What You Think. I'm Zasha Rosen. The thing about sex is that it's really personal. I mean, there's a lot of talk in the media about you know how porn is influencing people's sex lives, but really, every person's version of sex is still pretty different and pretty unique. And if that's the case, how can you really know how to treat somebody right? What sorts of things can you say no to? What sort of things can you say yes to? Is it a different sort of thing if you're queer rather than straight? Viv McGregor, Community Health Promotion Officer at ACON, the AIDS Council of New South Wales, who also works on the Claude Project, reckons that's a thing we should be talking about, especially in the queer community. And just so you know, we're going to be talking about some explicit stuff here. Not for titillation, this isn't that show, but we're talking about human sexuality. And people are probably going to get naked, and we might be talking about what things go where, and especially when. And Viv isn't shy, at least not as far as I can tell. Viv, thanks for coming on. Just to begin with, I was wondering if you could tell us about something that happened to you at a bar Mm. when one of your exes got together with another one of your exes. Sure. They'll be really proud that this story is now public. Um, One of my ex-girlfriends, we had a drink with another of my ex-girlfriends and they were actually the ex-girlfriend of each other as well. So they had, I dated one, then I dated the other and then they had dated each other. So we were at a bar and we were all having a drink together and they decided it would be great to talk about what it's like to date me. Um, so it's nice to be dissected by two exes at once. Um, and they enjoyed mocking me a lot, so fair call. Um, what, what sort of things did you discover? Were you surprised? <laughs> um, I wasn't surprised that they were mocking me. No, that was in character mm-hmm. with our ongoing relationship. Um no, I, it's always surprising to kind of hear what it's like to date you, not from, um, you know, one debrief conversation with an ex, but from two people sort of um, affectionately ganging up on you. Um, but it was also, for me, it was a really lovely moment as well because instead of it being, um, I think they wanted to make it awkward for me, but <laughs> instead of it being awkward, it reaffirmed the fact that we're actually, the three of us remained friends and retained intimacy despite the fact that perhaps dating and breaking up and dating and breaking up and then them dating each other and breaking up could have resulted in something that was really awkward and stopped us from being friends. But within specifically, I think, the lesbian scene in Sydney, I think um, it's such an important thing to keep friendships alive after you finish being a lover. Um, And it's almost impossible not to because if you stop being friends with everyone you had sex with, you would run out of lovers and friends really, really quickly. So There's a word for how tight-knit, or at least small, the lesbian community is here. Yes, it's affectionately known as the lesbian web of death, uh, which means that basically you are connected to every single other sort of same-sex attracted woman in Sydney by at least sort of one or two steps. So guarantee if I think that I've met someone new after sort of five minutes of conversation we'll discover that we have an ex in common or that we've slept with the same person and I think you can either approach that as sometimes it might be suffocating but other times it's actually a really positive thing this sense of connection to other people to like an extended family of exes and current lovers and friends. Well and it sounds like um, I mean it seems like it's clear enough that you know you had an ex and and she had an ex and that was the same ex as yours. Mm. It's easier if it's visual. I should just... <laughs> Play a little triangle. I should, yeah, or objects, you know, she's a salt shaker and she's a pepper shaker and they dated. It's much easier in visual language, but yeah. Is it a, is it as simple as that? I mean, how, how complicated is, mm. is it to, to work out the ethics of a situation like that? I think it's something, it's really hard in retrospect to think about how we managed it, but... Um, 
part of it is being in a, a community that encourages that. So having kind of already set language and discussions with people about this, being aware of it, having an affectionate term like the lesbian web of death, um, sort of semi-affectionate, gives you the space to talk about it and makes you prepared for it. I think negotiating that stuff on an individual basis means kind of going through the same stuff that um, most people go through when they break up, um, sort of grief and anger and um, maybe not wanting to talk to someone for a while, but it actually forces you to work harder at your intimacies and at your friendships. The awareness that, you know, there aren't many of us and there is a sense of having to stick together, specifically in the lesbian queer scene, I think. But it also sounds like it's a lot of fun. Mm. And we're going to be coming back and talking about that in just a sec. But first, we're going to go to a song from Fishing. This is called Recoup.
That was Fishing with Recoup. You're on Not What You Think. I'm Zasha Rosen, and we're talking to Viv McGregor, who's telling us about, well, actually, more or less how sex can be fun is what we're going to be talking about. We've talked about um, Viv being stuck at a bar with two of her ex-lovers who were telling her what it was like to date her. And that kind of you know, leads on to questions of how you feel about your sexuality, I guess. And it doesn't sound like you're ashamed, just surprised. But there's a lot of shame when it comes to talking about sex, and that's a problem now. Yeah, I think that's uh, a massive problem, and that's not that's not limited to people whose sexuality um, might have stigma attached to it. So that's not limited to homosexuality or queer sexuality. I think sex in general um, still carries a lot of shame with it, um, whether that be around bodily shame, so shame you feel about your body not being perfect or um, your body being different or gross or all the kind of um, stigma we carry, we internalise about our body, specifically women. Um, But yeah, I think sex itself still has a lot of shame. Um, It has a lot of, there are a lot of norms governing the way we think about sex and whether that be particular sex acts or the amount of sex we're having. um, I think the use of the word promiscuous is always fascinating. When someone is labelled promiscuous, I always wonder, like I want them to tell me what the line is like what number do I cross over where I become promiscuous and I think that that word has such stigma attached to it I I think it has massive negative connotations that you're irresponsible somehow for having more than this imaginary number this line that you've crossed so I don't think shame is useful for anything I don't think it's good for promoting safe sex I don't think it uh, encourages people to talk about sex or to find out what they actually really like in bed and what they don't like Um, And I think being a part of the queer community has helped to eradicate my shame about sex and sexuality to the point where I can happily talk about it on radio (laughs) openly. That's no small thing. We're we're recording this a few days before we go to air, but it's still a bit of a nerve-wracking experience for most people talking about their sex lives on air. And and I assume that, like, being able to talk about it more easily, does that make it better? Um, yes, absolutely it does. Like from Not just from personal, but from anecdotal and actually sociological evidence, the ability to communicate about sex makes it better, literally makes it better. You will have better sex if you are able to identify and articulate what you love in bed and also, really importantly, what you don't like. When you're willing in the middle of sex to say, actually, not so much, if you could move to the left or if you could, I really enjoyed that, but I'm not enjoying it anymore. Can we try this? Like, obviously, if you are able to have the confidence and the the comfort in your own body and self to say, I'm not into that, can we try something else? Of course, sex is going to be better. When you're able to direct someone about how to play with your body or how to interact with your body, of course, it's going to be better. And it certainly has gotten much better. I mean, it's not like I, you know, Um, suddenly like turned 20 and snap I could immediately discuss this like this took a long time this is 10 or 12 years of being in the queer scene to be able to have sex with someone and be you know captain bossy pants about (laughs) where they touch me and how they touch me (laughs) and what I like and also finding um, the intense pleasure in asking someone in asking someone what they like and respecting their boundaries and talking someone through exactly what they want me to do to them I find that incredibly liberating and incredibly hot what do you reckon are some of the steps in, in learning to become Miss Bossy Pan? <laughs> um, I think I think listening to your own body. Um, of course, I want to come on radio and advocate masturbation, more of it all the time. But find out what you enjoy, what you can give to yourself. 
Um, and talking about it as much as you can, not necessarily um, in whilst having sex, but maybe talking about it with friends, um, finding language around it. Um, and then I don't know how you train someone not to have shame anymore, but it's just practice. It's about maybe starting out really gently by, you know, not in the middle of sex saying, oh, my God, stop, that's terrible, but very gently saying, I really liked what you were doing a second ago, not so much what you're doing now. Like gentle ways that, you know, so you're less worried about hurting someone's feelings and more gently encouraging. And just becoming vocal. Use your words. (laughs) Use your words and your groans. (laughs) It sounds like a, a combination of learning, to be honest, and just a little bit of tact like salt or pepper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Honesty and tact, yeah. And one of the reasons that that honesty is something we're talking about, and, and I guess being deliberate here is something what we're talking about, mm-hmm. is because the next thing we're going to talk about after this next song is is ethics, is why it's important and what it is that you need to be talking about and you need a language for that. So we're going to come back after we hear She's Leaving You by Rolio. You've been listening to She's Leaving You by Rolio. You're on FBI 94.5. This is Not What You Think. I'm Zasha Rosen. I'm talking to Viv McGregor. And we're talking about 
queer sexual ethics. And just a warning, we're going to be talking about some rude stuff. So if that's a problem for you, you might want to switch over to click on digital radio or on the web and come on back in about 15 minutes. So we were just talking about how important it is to really enjoy sex and be able to talk about sex. And one of the reasons that that's a thing is because, you know, we want to talk about ethics and ethics are about being able to enjoy yourself without messing up other people's ability to enjoy themselves. So, and this sounds simple enough, but we're going to introduce some of the complications in, in doing that in the queer community now. So I was wondering if you could just talk us through ideas like straight, queer, and, and polyamory just mm-hmm. to get us going. Yeah, sure. I mean, when I use straight, I'm um, referring to um, not necessarily all heterosexual people everywhere, but straight as in the kind of heterosexual culture, which is the sort of dominant normative culture that we all live in. Um Queer, I guess, is defined, I mean, it means different things to different people. Sometimes it's um, just a synonym for LGBTI, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex. But often queer refers to non-normative practices or identities or relationships. So things which are defiantly against the normative or the normal. So the sort of stuff that used to get you weird glances and now get you people saying, oh, that looks interesting. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, I guess so. Uh, I think that you see that with um, a lot of people define polyamory, for example, as uh, a queer practice because it is against the norm. So the norm in our culture is um, the ideal of a monogamous relationship, a lifelong commitment that is faithful and sexually and romantically monogamous. So polyamory, which means multiple loves uh some people define that as an inherently queer practice because it is saying that well actually you can have multiple loves you can have multiple lovers you can be in love with more than one person you can have sex with more than one person and it not be um, an ethical problem it's not inherently bad to do that it's about how you do it and how honest you are with your partners and actually i think polyamory encourages um and is not possible without a really radical form of honesty when when people start being polyamorous, is that something that just comes naturally or do they kind of go there step by step? Well, I'd question um, the word natural or naturally about anything. I don't think any oh, form sorry. of relationship. They go with the flow. Yeah. Um, I guess going with the flow, I think, doesn't mean that it's natural, but that it's certainly the norm in our culture. I think most people, because of what we're told culturally, and there's certainly nothing inherently wrong with monogamy either, but what we're told culturally is that that's the only way to have a healthy, fulfilling relationship. So the structure isn't the problem. The problem is the fact that it's touted as the only way to be healthy and satisfied in a relationship. Um, I'm not sure what draws people to polyamory because it's so varied. Some people are drawn to it because they try monogamy and it doesn't work for them over and over again. Um, Other people are drawn to it because they happen upon a book or they happen upon the community or they're part of the queer scene. And in the queer scene, uh, specifically the scene that I'm or the community that I'm a part of, it's become a lot more normal and a lot more common for people to have multiple lovers, for polyamory to be um, really recognisable, for us to have a language around having open relationships or poly relationships. Um, so it's about being in a community that supports it and then seeing that as an option. And just to be clear, most people in a polyamorous relationship are pretty happy. Well... <laughs> I mean, or at least as happy as anyone in any other kind of relationship. Is it- I would say as happy as, yeah, absolutely. There's um, nothing inherent about the structure of polyamory that would make people miserable or happy. It's about what you're doing in it. The same as any relationship. So so what sort of ethical tools do you use to keep each other happy in a polyamorous relationship? I think for me, it's so for me personally, it's about um, the real finding real pleasure in being 
just really honest with my partner or lover um, from really small things like being with a partner and um, admitting that I have a crush on someone and having like my current partner teasing me about one of those embarrassing crushes I have right now where I actually when she comes near me I can't talk <laughs> and uh, he knows this is happening and constantly points it out and makes it worse so from those little moments of being you know admitting that no matter how much I love him and no matter how committed we are to each other my desire for other people has not magically shut down. And then f to larger things where um, we're happy for each other when we meet new people or date new people or have a sexual experience with someone else, like being able to come home to someone who's a lover and a partner and telling them ex as excitable as you would report to a friend that you've just met someone new and had amazing sex and you did this and that. Um, I love that stuff and that for me creates more intimacy and being able to talk through jealousy rather than using jealousy as a tool to control someone else's behaviour. So in my relationships, jealousy happens, but it's something to talk through and it's my stuff. Like it's jealousy can be worked through and it doesn't become this excuse to go, well, you can only be with me. Like I know, I think it makes my relationship stronger to feel loved and to love someone and to you know, watch them love love other people is really, oh, that sounds really mushy. <laughs> yeah, if it works, it works. And we'll come back in a sec to talk all about it. We're going to go to Satisfy by CLN.
That was Satisfy by CLN. We're talking to Viv McGregor here on Not What You Think. And just before the break, we were talking about, you know, you and your boyfriend and how you negotiate having other lovers or sex with other people and make fun of each other for it Mm -hmm. and tease each other. And, And it sounds like you're in a pretty comfortable space if you're teasing each other about that and enjoying it. So how do you get to that space? Um, I think for both of us, uh, knowing what you want um, and knowing what doesn't work for you and at the same time embracing the kind of potential of what a relationship can be, the different forms it can take. Um, so for my current sort of partner and I, it was um, it's, it is a negotiation, but not, it's not as sort of dry and clinical as that sounds. It's so you're a, not sitting across a table with papers and stuff? We, there's no note-taking. There's no minutes for the conversation that we had. It's actually, it was actually a really pleasurable conversation or series of conversations about the relationships we've had before and what we want out of this and um, finding someone whose kind of needs match your own and being able to articulate what you want in a relationship. And I think that that kind of negotiation and that sort of collaboration between someone is really lovely and for me that reflects the way that I have any kind of sexual encounter not just a relationship but sex in general which is that um, it is a collaboration and it does require communication so I think obtaining consent for every single act that you do um, is really important especially since we're talking about ethics and having ethical sex consent is obviously really key and not just There's a really simple definition of consent, which is yes means yes and no means no. But I think more than that, um, sex, a sexual encounter often isn't just one act. So it's about that kind of constant checking in when you're having sex and asking, like we've mentioned, the joy of asking someone what they want and if they want this sex this or this movement to happen and it sounds like one of the the joys of that is you get to find out what makes them happy and you get to help them enjoy it more and that makes it better absolutely and that applies to a casual encounter and a long-term relationship like finding out what someone wants and what they find hot is incredibly hot in itself i think and definitely expressing my own desire is an erotic on its own and hearing someone ask me what i want i I find all of that um, in an encounter really erotic as well as absolutely contributing to better sex and safer sex and um, sex that is about respecting the person you're with and that's whether you've known them for an hour or whether you've known them for years like were you always able to negotiate like that was um no as i said before it took um getting over shame and building confidence around my body and the kind of sex that i enjoyed and that was about having an amazing community and <laughs> it sounds really nerdy, but research, like reading books and reading erotica and um, just being a part of a sexual community that was very, very sex positive, that never saw sex as something inherently bad or inherently dangerous, but sex as a positive force and something that should be like respected and celebrated and talked about because it is actually endlessly fascinating what people like and dislike and what they get up to. And speaking of that, you actually work on a project that, that's about sex positivity, but it's also fun to look at. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I love working on this project. It's um, it's an online sexual health resource for queer and kinky women, and it's called the it's called Claude. And the website is iloveclaude.com. And it's actually both an art and sexual health resource. So we commission artists to make 
um, beautiful artworks that kind of celebrate or explore female sexuality and it's all very sexy and kinky and at the same time you can access uh, free safe sex packs, you can access um, safe sex information, you can ask us direct and anonymous questions, anything you have around sex or kink or health um, and I just think it's a really positive project because it says that in the centre of sex is pleasure and we need to focus on that and that's actually what creates a sex positive culture remembering that sex is fun and it's about pleasure and we'll put a link to that on our website i should also note it is not a great site to look at at work you might want to look at it in a private place <laughs> viv thank you so much for coming on to the final not what do you think that's my pleasure it's thank you great having you on Viv was suggested by Jordana Caputo. You can listen again to this show at ondemand.fbiradio.com. We've also got a podcast, which can go straight to your phone and stay there if you want it to. It has this show, all our three previous shows, one on memory, another on garbage, and one on the experience of Muslim offenders. They're all there, just waiting for you to download them. Just go to fbiradio.com, click on On Air, then Programs and Playlists, and choose Know What You Think. Our podcast details are down the bottom there. The podcast also has a little extra material we couldn't fit into this broadcast version. If you're listening to the podcast, that's coming right up. We'll also be posting a final bonus podcast-only episode next Saturday. Not What You Think is produced by Laura Briley. The executive producer is Claire Holland, and I'm Zasha Rosen. Logo is by Annie Hamilton. Thanks for listening to our final show. Next week, Backchat returns triumphantly to its own slot with its very first episode for 2015. Next in line on FBI, lunch. I'm Laura Bradley, producer for Know What You Think. This is a little bit extra that we recorded, but we couldn't fit on air. From what I remember, I know more about Roman sexuality. That's what I studied at uni. Mm. But um, from what I remember, heterosexuality is a relatively new idea. It came after homosexuality. Homosexuality was invented and named before heterosexuality was. Well, it, homosexuality was illegal by the time Shakespeare's around, but most people... Sodomy. Really, there were sodomy. sodomy laws, yeah. Um, it's actually like a misnomer to kind of use homosexuality to describe anything that was going on back then because there's no concept of a homosexual identity. Well, I, I know in, in, in Roman times, like, the problem wasn't sleeping with boys. It's that you were... Um, they were high-status... Bo- you know, Roman citizens mm-hmm. and you were defiling them by, by penetrating them. Oh, and that, um, and sometimes that could be, um, well, it was kind of, it was as long as you were a citizen, like a Roman citizen, which means male, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. not a slave. Um, you could kind of penetrate any, anyone you wanted. <laughs> like that it was, um, because it was more about class and yeah, position yeah, yeah. than about anything to like they don't really have a concept or they didn't have a concept of sexual identity so it would be it's like the idea of pederasty of kind of having sex with young boys as long as you were the penetrator that was kind of okay um and you could have sex with slaves you could have sex with women of any you know (laughs) anyone you wanted to um but what would have been appalling to them would be if uh someone of a lower status penetrated a citizen like that that was yeah. the thing that was appalling. It's such a weird idea. Mm. It's completely different to the way we've become accustomed to thinking about sexual acts and sexuality, um, especially because sexual identity is the newest thing. It's only been around since like the late 19th century after that is when we started actually understanding sexuality as an identity rather than a norm of behaviours and then a whole bunch of like from the 19th century like pathologies. So there was normal people, but oh. they weren't interesting to look at the pathologies were interesting.